We're back. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the New Seat Podcast. We're here with uh, another great guest, one that has a multitude of great perspectives relevant to the HR space, in particularly leadership. She has background being a professor, a startup advisor, a people ops executive. We're here with Claudia Folga. Claudia, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? We're doing very well. We're doing very well. Thank you for uh, coming on today in beautiful California. Backdrop's amazing. I know everyone can't see it, but definitely one for the books. Yeah, it's an amazing backdrop. I'm here in Santa Barbara. Awesome weather, good people. And I can't wait to talk to you two about this too. <laughs> Absolutely. So really, I mean, take us to the beginning. Tell us about what got you interested in HR, people, what led you to your current position as essentially an executive coach. And we'll just take it from there. Yeah. So I was, I was in it. I started getting an interest in it when working in architecture and interior design firms and noticed that there was an absolute need for people operations and wanting to do it differently. I didn't just want to be that pencil pusher doing payroll and taking care of everything on the back end. I wanted to do something different and really focus on just being people centric and being authentic and helping people become really awesome leaders. And I think that that's when the journey started. Um, I ended up working for interior design and architecture firms for 10 years doing that kind of work and, and then went into high tech startups and, you know, ran and built seven departments um, and, and I say that because I had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, it was a lot of learning along the way, a lot of failures, some good wins, but it was a huge learning process for me. And I was innovating as I was going and as I was working with all of these different companies. And I noticed consistently that the theme that I constantly came up against when challenges were happening was leadership and you know, I really started focusing in on that because I, I was thinking to myself, okay, the, the undergoing and underlying theme that I see in all of these different organizations and all the different challenges that come up are, is your leadership team good? Are the people that are running your organization self-aware? Do they have high emotional intelligence skills? Can they relate to other people? Can they have empathy when something happens to people or their lives? And I noticed that, that the answer to that was yes and no. The best leaders had it and those that were struggling and people had struggles with didn't necessarily have those skill sets. So that sort of began this huge interest and curiosity around, well, what does it take to be a good leader in organizations? And I had a really good time with it because I, I mean, I worked for a good amount of companies and was able to dabble in and experiment as I was going and, and as people ops was developing. And, uh, and I came to the conclusion that it's important to just focus in on leadership development and help people just become good leaders, you know, become genuine, authentic, like bring that out in them. So, so that they can actually like, have a good time with their, with their teams, but also, also get results, you know, but just do it, I think in a very different way versus then you got to read this. You have to do this as a leader, uh, you know, don't have fun. Don't, don't go off script. You need to, you just need to sort of stick to what leadership has been taught to you and nothing beyond that. 
And I think to me, like a human centric approach to leadership is just vastly different. It's a different vibe for people. So, I mean, you touched on a lot of things there. You briefly walked us through interior design into HR. You talked about what I personally want to get into right now is, I guess, leadership competency to some extent or another. I mean, of course, it varies depending on personal experience, professional experience, what industry they're in, I'm assuming. Yeah. How would you evaluate leadership competency? I mean, you've worked with startups. You're, you were exposed yeah. to you know, leadership within the university setting. What really take this wherever you want, but how do you evaluate competency? What are certain things you look for? How you combat when competency requirements aren't met in terms of what the business needs or what maybe you you would need from an executive just to work with them? Yeah. So, you know, there, there's so many answers to this question. I think it's a good one piece, but in terms of, of leadership competencies, if, if I were to go to a startup and say, Hey, wh- what does a leader look like here? Can you tell me what that, what those competencies are and what you expect of leaders? Oftentimes the answer was no, we don't have that definition of a leader. And so to me, that I think is a foundational thing that you have to have in every organization. Step back, understand what a leader is in your organization and actually define it so that people know. You know, leaders coming in, yes, you can be an amazing leader at one startup and you can literally fail at another startup. And it has everything to do with expectations. I think the challenge is that oftentimes these expectations are not said and they're not defined. So they're sort of expected of people. And when I've seen it work really well, I was fortunate to be part of a really awesome company that I had a a good time experimenting and doing so over the course of six and a half years. But I experimented with that. Let's define what a leader is. Let's spend time understanding are good leaders in this organization and what qualities and skill sets do they have? For us, emotional intelligence was a big thing. And we wanted to make sure that we indexed on that and develop those skill sets because we found that when people were relatable to the people that they were working with, it was a whole, whole different approach to how work was done, how people interacted with that leader and how they were motivated by the work that they needed to do and by that leader. So it seemed like the whole landscape had changed and we had a good time experimenting with that. So to me, what I learned was if you go in and into any organization and I do this right now with my coaching business, go in and start with the definition. What's a leader in your organization? I go in, I do the due diligence. I talk to the best leaders in the organization, understand what it is that they do that make them that make them successful. I talk to and do one-on-one interviews with all kinds of different people in the company. And then from there, I really am able to define what a leader is. Like, what does it take to, to be here? In some companies, being aggressive, for example, and assertive and direct is what's gonna get them results. In other organizations that I've worked for, if you are that person, you're not going to even you're not going to withstand 3 months of working there because those are not the skill sets that they're looking for so i think to answer your question it varies based on different organizations that's why to me it's so important to literally define in every single company what a leader is and it surprises me 
that companies don't start there. So let's put a, I guess, an umbrella over yeah. it all. Could. I like the part where you mentioned leadership tends to be most effective when the people that are working with you can relate to you. We've spoken with a multitude of startup founders, executives, people with similar backgrounds to yourselves, and they'd like to describe a startup in a multitude of ways. Some people say, oh, a startup's like a family. Some people say, no, it's not like a family. Some people have said startups are like a sports team, essentially, where some people come and go. What is a good analogy you use or would like to use in terms of how to evaluate startups? And and in retrospect, how do you evaluate leadership? Because of course, leadership looks different when you're a parent in a family, right? Of course, leadership looks different if you're the owner of a sports team. How would you break that up? I mean, I see what you're saying. It can be broken up into all of those. I've heard that word being used and also being scoffed at in terms of we're a family. and, And I think a lot of people these days don't necessarily believe that philosophy, I look at it as a collective. So, and, you know, and I do believe in this concept of building communities. And when I think about community building, I think about a collective of people that come from all walks of life that have done a lot of amazing things in their life. And they're coming together at this company to create something meaningful. And in the most successful companies that I've worked at, they've approached they've approached what a fam- what a, what a company is called through that lens it's a community and it's a collective of different kinds of people i've seen it work successfully when we have called it that when when we're saying hey we're building a community of amazing people this is a collective of amazing people that have come from all walks of life it seems that people are much more receptive to that than anything else. Um, the word family has been thrown around a lot. And I, I I sense that people are allergic to it because it doesn't feel like it's coming from an authentic place. It's just being sort of thrown out there to say, hey, we're all family. It's all good. Everything's fine here. You know, you'll be safe versus no, you're part of a collective you too have a responsibility to be part of this collective and be part of a community, right? Because when you're, when you're in a community, you're contributing, you, you have a responsibility to contribute to that community and bring something to the table. I think people want that. Um, Yes. It can be true that families do the same thing and being part of a family is the same thing. I just, I've never compared a family to an organization. I mean, I like that. I mean, regardless of where the startup or the company exists, the end all be all is a community with the collective of background of skills, mm-hmm. experiences, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, you've been in a multitude of settings. You were a professor at San Francisco State. You're clearly a startup advisor. You have your own coaching executive business going on. How have you viewed community in those different categories? And were there any similarities, any differences? Take it from mm. that. I think a lot of similarities. I think people want that sense of community. We want to be part of communities. We want to be part of building something together. Um, I'll give you an example of something very simple. So over the weekend... Um, we got together a bunch of friends and I got this chance to kind of sit back a little bit and, 
and look at the table around me. So we were all sitting outside. We have this huge pizza oven on the property. And we, we had about 12 people getting together and we made pizzas for the night. Beautiful time, amazing weather, et cetera, et cetera. But when I stepped back and looked around the table and noticed the people that were around this table, I literally sat there and I'm like, we could, we could build an amazing company from all of these human beings literally sitting at this table right now. We had a product leader at the table. We had a professor at the table. We had a writer at the table. We had a surfing coach at the table. Um, we had an agriculturist at the table. We, we had a baker at the table. I mean, the amount of collective experiences that we had there, it was so beautiful to see and watch. And this is, when I think about community, we all came in community. We were literally all making pizza together. We were all sharing a meal. When I think about building companies, to me, that's what I think about, you know, you bring in everybody together to build something meaningful that we've never built before. And that's where the fun comes in. I think it's the same thing in, in university. You know, I did teach, like you said, for 10 years, I had amazing students come through these classes and it was the same thing. Like, what are we building together here? And I always made it a point. We had a lot of fun in these classes, but we always built startups in the classes. And I always made it a point to have people like, literally take everything that they know and those skill sets and come in and experiment, like try different stuff, experiment with a different leadership style. If you have a really, you know, a really cool idea that you're afraid to sort of share out, just try it. This is such a good place to experiment. I think with startups, obviously you can't experiment to that degree, but there is this sense of we're all getting together. We all have these amazing skill sets how do we experiment and how do we build something really cool together? And that's, that's when I think of community, that's what I think about. Yeah. That's so amazing. A question I'm dying to ask now is that group of people at the table, all those different experiences, what business do you think you guys would start that would be successful? That's <laughs> such a I good question. <laughs> I think it would be something in the culinary world. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I mean, so many ideas could come from that, but how cool would it be to build a company with people that love food, love entertainment, and can whip something together at a, you know, on short notice? Yeah, no, that sounds like so much fun. And hey, maybe we'll be on the lookout for the newest Domino's <laughs> or Pizza, the biggest pizza chain in the world coming coming from uh, that little <laughs> brick oven right there. Amazing. So Claudia, we kind of want to transition because something we really want to talk about is leadership from the executive level, right? The C-suite, the, the CEO, the COO, founders, whoever it may be. Yeah. How important is it for them to cultivate a certain leadership style? Not only one that's about getting things done, right? But one where they're a guiding light to the team, where if there's a decision to be made, there's a framework to say, okay, how would so-and-so at the top of the company react to this decision? And and move accordingly. So how important is that? And yeah, just walk us through that. I I think it's critical. Everybody can go out there and, you know, few people can raise money and, and fewer people can actually build a successful company. To me, when it comes to being a good leader, 
it's everything because everyone looks at you for that, you know? And, and I think the thing that's interesting is that it doesn't seem like there's a huge emphasis on that in organizations. The amount of intelligence that you need to have or expertise to be able to run a company is, is insanely critical. And I get that. The thing that I'm also wondering about too, is, is there a focus on, Hey, how sharp is this individual? Do they have emotional intelligence skills? Is there a focus on their self-awareness? How self-aware are they? Do they know their blind spots? Are they able to be humble enough to say, I'm not really good at that? Um, when they make mistakes, are they able to say in front of everyone, I messed up on that and I want to fix it. And this is what I'm doing about it. Do they take accountability when, when there's conflict in the organization or even just amongst, uh, amongst the executive team, are people able to sit around the table and have a conversation with each other? with the founders, with the CEO sitting there, and there's no politics being played, but there's genuineness around having conversations around how to fix a conflict. I was very fortunate because I worked in an organization that did that really well. And I've also worked in companies where we didn't do it so well. And it all has to do with the dynamics and it has a lot to do with that CEO relationship. I had an amazing relationship with the CEO that I worked with. He was incredibly humble had a lot of self-awareness, cared deeply about his people in a really genuine way. Like didn't just say that for the sake of, yeah, I care about everyone. And yes, I do have emotional intelligence. And yes, I am a good leader. Like I think he wanted to be a good leader. That made my job as a professional so much easier because we were able to have real authentic conversations with each other. We were able to have a partnership with one another where we collaborated on big things. And this company just didn't have sort of an easy path to success. I mean, you know, we I joined when we were 150. We grew to 500 within a year. We, we went back down in year three to 300 people. We went back up, we went back down, we had to switch things up because our, our philosophy didn't work. We had to switch up the product because it was no longer viable with the market. I mean, it was not an easy path, but what made it meaningful and enjoyable to me and all of the other people that were in that company was his leadership and it was his approach and it was the way that he expected us as executives to act with, with each other to treat each other, to have respect for one another, but then also to call each other out when things were hard and when we had conflict with each other. So to answer your question, it makes a huge, huge difference to have a CEO and an executive team that, that do focus in on their leadership style, do understand their leadership style and, and invest in it too. I have always had mentors around me, always. People have, I've gotten so many gifts in my life in terms of people helping me out and calling me out on things and helping me develop as a leader and so on and so forth. And I've also had coaches. I've always worked with a coach and I've learned a lot along the way. And I just, I think that investing that way in yourself as an executive is something that should be done. To me, it's 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 sort of a no-brainer and it's a 
I, I don't even ask questions around it. I think everybody that's in a leadership position or in an executive position should have a coach on that journey. How soon, how soon or how late should that mentor or official or executive mentorship take place? Sooner than later. I mean, when I started my career, I I made it an effort to build to build a community around me of people that were going to help me. And as that happened, I was able to give back. So I was able to continue sort of that cycle of helping other people out. But for me, I always had at least one mentor at my level and at least one mentor at the level that I wanted to get to. And and the coach on top of that. So I've always invested in that because I've, I mean, I've seen the results of it and it's just, it's been good over the course of time. So I would say sooner than, sooner than later in a career, it's never too late either. Um, and especially with first time CEOs and founders, to me, it's so important to have, to have that coach on the journey because you discover things that you may not be aware of. You you see blind spots. And especially if it's somebody that you trust, you allow them to give you the hard feedback that you may not necessarily want to hear. And I think that, that having that neutral partner along the way can just help a person grow and help navigate pretty big challenges along the way too. I think, I think you're, you're applying just enough pressure, highlighting what it really takes to take on any kind of leadership role, whether it be at an early stage startup, a later stage, or so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But something I I found interesting is it's evident that, you know, not only do you need technical chops or whatever to lead a team and build a product, but there's also like the intangible skills you do need, right? The emotional intelligence you mentioned, uh, being empathetic towards different individuals within a team due to whatever personal, professional experiences and backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That being said, there's essentially two sides of the table, right? Suppose you're a candidate or an early employer, whatever the case may be, and you're able to identify and notice that leadership doesn't have that secondhand leadership skills in terms of emotional intelligence, being able to lead and provide and do what they need to do to not only assist me in my career, but Mm -hmm. assist the company going forward. Would Mm -hmm. you advise that person to, would you advise that person can do? What is it as simple as just leaving? Do they? <laughs> I wasn't right. gonna say run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how how do you take that conversation if someone came to you with that? Oh, it's such a good question. So this this is is this a candidate or is this a an employee working in the organization? And let's say an employee working in the organization. I feel like a candidate. It's an easy. You know, uh, this is not for me. Let's talk. Well, about Well, so it it is and it isn't. I I would say with candidates make it an effort to to interview for leadership. You know, the people that you're going to end up working with, do the due diligence on it. I mean, I say this to all of my clients when especially when they're going through major career transitions and they look back on mistakes that they have made or whatever, whatever the situation may be, but do the due diligence on who the players are in the organization that you're going to be working with. Do they have emotional intelligence? Are they able to navigate through conflicts? I mean, there's there's different ways of measuring that and different ways of asking the questions so that these folks can become storytellers and you're able to make an informed decision about whether that's the right position for you. 
Um, on the employee level, I mean, yes, I've gone through this many times in many different organizations where there was a lot of leadership frustration. And this isn't a people operations solve it all problem. To me, this is an executive leadership commit to leadership development and solve it together. And that takes time and it takes resources and it takes effort and it takes commitment to doing this work. You know, so oftentimes when people say, oh, this is, yeah, of course I believe in leadership development. That's a no brainer, of course. But when you dive into it and say, hey, are you prepared to, to pay half a million dollars for the next year to develop your 80 leaders in the company? Are you prepared to spend $10,000 on, on a consultant to do the due diligence to figure out what a leader is in your company? Are you prepared to tell leaders that they're gonna be spending 10% of their time per week on leadership development? Are you prepared to say to leaders, you need to spend at least one hour of your week talking to a coach? And I think when you start adding these up, the answer gets more hesitant on, of course, of course I am. It becomes harder. I think, I think this segues really well into the, 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 excuse me, the other side of the table where there's a conversation to be had between building versus hiring leadership yeah. option leadership role. So building entails literally investing essentially, which is what you mentioned earlier in what's already there. Maybe they have some kind of longevity within the company. So they have more understanding as to like what's been and what should be versus mm -hmm. the hiring portion, which is you're trusting this person coming in knows what the heck to do. They have a point of reference beyond just the public perspective of what the company does and how they operate. Yeah. How would you break down that relationship, that dynamic building versus invest, excuse me, building versus hiring in leadership? So hiring is very critical. And like we talked about earlier, I think you can be an amazing leader at one organization and you can miserably fail at another company. So to me, hiring, yes, absolutely, for a leadership role. Super critical because you know they have that skill set. Building to me is a very different, it's a very different beast. So it's not only the technical chops. And oftentimes I go into organizations and, you know, they'll say, I'm so frustrated with, with the people that I ended up hiring in some of these roles and we need to make changes. And I oftentimes ask them the, the simple question of, well, did you interview them for their leadership style and were they able to define it? And 90% of those instances, the answer is no. So we implement tools within the organization. For example, a very simple one, Urs Holzey, who was an early SVP at Google, um, was part of the high growth handbook. And I love the philosophy around being able to define your leadership style. So I have done that for the last 10 years of my career. I created a Google Doc. I started writing in it about what was important as a leader and what my philosophy is in terms of leadership. I vetted it with my team. They gave me feedback on it. And as I learned from my coaches and from my experiences, I kept adding to that, to that leadership doc. So now to me, it's 
it's a living doc that I use often. I use it often with the teams. And then I also use it often when, for example, if I'm interviewing for a new role, I use that doc to be able to, to talk about my leadership style and to see if it's a fit in the organization. Um, so that's one, it's one tool. But to me, when I'm thinking about building, it's important to go into an organization as a new leader and do a little bit of discovery process before you just sort of dive in and start building, whether it's products, whether it's marketing, whether it's whatever, sales, infrastructure, anything. Spend time with the teams. Have the teams get to know you on a personal level. Have them be able to relate to you as a human being. That I think is oftentimes forgotten because startups move so fast. So it's like, well, what are you going to do for us in the next 30 days? And my answer is always, I'm going to get to know your people in the next 30 days and figure out what the challenges are. Their people know what the challenges are in their organizations, but I think for me, it's important to hear it from other people in the company across all levels in the company. So in my last role, for example, I did 71 on ones in the first 90 days because I needed to know from a people perspective, what were the biggest challenges there that were going on? And to me, doing those one-on-ones, doing that due diligence, building those essential relationships is the start of building successful teams where you understand what as a leader you need to give to your teams. And that makes a difference. For the plug, is there a way listeners can find that document that you've created? Yes, I'm happy to share it with people uh, if they're interested. You can reach out to me. My website is claudiafolga.com. Always happy to share resources with people. <laughs> and then also look in the high growth handbook because it's also there too. There we go. Going back to the process of ideally defining your leadership style, how soon should one consider it? Let's say you have a you have a company, maybe it's as early as two kids in a basement. Hey, let's do this thing. Whether they raise money or not, it is what it is. Should they consider it then? Is it too soon? Should they consider it when they get the first guy on board? Should they hit a certain threshold within the product's maturity? Where where does this lead? I would say do it, do it early and and do it even prior to fundraising, because you end up learning a lot about yourself. Even the the process of that, it's because it's self-awareness. Even the process of being able to step back and and say, this is what my leadership style is. And even vetting it with your co-founder, for example, or people that you're working with, that is huge. And a lot of people don't do it. You don't want to do it after you hire your first person, because at that point, you know, and I and I see founders making this mistake often is they they look at the technical chops and experience and they get so excited at the potential that they just hire without even thinking about, well, what's this relationship gonna be like? How how, how are we gonna get together and how are we gonna build together? Um, and how are we gonna deal with conflict and how are we gonna deal with adversity and the unknowns and the the scary part of building a startup when I don't really know who this person is, you know, and when they don't really know who I am as a leader and if we're actually going to miss, 
if we're going to mismatch or if we're actually going to be a good match together. So I would say start it early, do the due diligence. And by that, I mean, even when you're hiring new people, take them out of the out of the interviewing environment of sitting across from each other at a desk and go have a conversation, go for a walk, go for a dinner, go for a shared meal and have a conversation with that person and get to know them on a different level. Because if you get to know them as a, as a human being, you're going to get insight into what their leadership style is about. It's certainly, I think uh, if I remember correctly, there's a brilliant article on Medium from the founder of Medium about how they were running all these tests by interviewing people differently, just trying to see who they would hire. And they'd go like on a walk, they take them out to dinner, they do anything mm -hmm. but exactly what you just said. And I could definitely see the value of that. So with all that being said, Claudia, you said, well, Pete said, two kids in the basement, starting, uh, starting to chase the dream, right? Implementing that culture early. How important is culture within an organization wholesomely, right? You have experience in early stage companies, later stage yeah. enterprises. How important really is it? And additionally, what have you seen work and maybe not work? It is important. I mean, but I, I think I, I look at culture as part of community, you know, so it starts with those two founders in the basement with their values as human beings. And from there, it grows into, hey, these are the values of the company that we're going to stand by and we're going to live. And then, hey, I want to build a community around these values and I want to hire people that are like minded. So I think it's important to have diversity of thought. And then I think it's important to hire people that have similar values in the organization and believe in, in your values very, very genuinely. Um, and, you know, and cultures to me are, they're started by founders, but they're built by the people that end up getting hired in that company because they're essentially, they're living it every single day. They're living it together. So yes, it's important. Yes, it's important to do it, to do it early. And then also to know that a culture is going to change over time and it's going to ebb and flow based on your business and what's going to happen in your business. The people that you keep adding to that business is going to impact a culture dramatically and just being prepared for that. But if you have unwavering values and you don't need 10 values, you don't need seven. If you have three to five, you're good. If you have solid unwavering values that you build from the very get-go, it's going to build that strong foundation to build to build healthy cultures and healthy relationships. I guess a hot topic within this culture conversation is something you touched on briefly, which is you know the implementation of employees and having them basically take the baton and run with it, essentially. And yeah. wherever it goes, of course, ebbs and flows, whatever the case may be. Um, at one point, employee experience was a topic that one could argue was discounted now as I guess as time progresses is something that seems to be more valued. Mm -hmm. How important do you think is maximizing the employee experience? And how have you seen it done effectively? Have you seen it done in a not so good manner? Take it from there. I think if it's, if it's done intentionally, you know, one of the jokes that my favorite CEO that I worked with <laughs> used to tell me all the time, he's like, you are so intentional about everything that you build. 
in your department. And I never really thought about it through that lens, but I think I was intentional because I cared and, and it was nice to work with somebody that cared too. Um, it's an interesting one and it's giving me a little bit of, of, of pause. Employee experiences to me, like if, if you, if you work with a founder and with a founding team and an executive team that genuinely cares about the employee experience, how somebody gets hired on that recruiting process, the onboarding process, how they get feedback, how performance is measured. Even when somebody leaves the organization, and this time it's this this thing is oftentimes forgotten, but even how they leave the company, did they have a good experience when they left? You know, because oftentimes like a person could be at a company for five years. And then within that last 30 days, that entire five-year awesome experience can be erased based on how they got treated. So all of those little tiny intentional components of building the employee experience matters. And if you want to build an experience where people are going to look back at their career and pinpoint to that thing and that company that they worked at and say, that was one of the coolest places I've ever worked at with the most awesome people that genuinely cared and it propelled me to these other places and it propelled me to become an awesome employee or an amazing leader, I would want that. So it goes beyond just, I'm going to make a profit and I'm going to make this company successful. It's also having a genuine belief that you want to build a lasting experience throughout a person's career. So to answer your question, I think it matters a lot. I've seen it done really well at a bunch of different companies when there was an investment and an intentional investment in it. If people say, yeah, we care about the employee experience, slap on an onboarding, give them this review without having intentionality behind it or without having ongoing conversations that are meaningful to people, that's it, it to me, that's a temporary solve. What does it say about a company, I guess their leadership style or their culture, however you want to take this, when someone does stay for, let's say, five, six, seven years, and then maybe it's a couple of situations or moments that actually transform someone to say, I don't give a damn how great my past six years, seven years experience was. This was unexpected, was unexpected towards what I thought the company was. And then mm -hmm. so does the tenure really make a difference? Um, what, how would you describe that relationship? Hmm. I mean, yes, it, yes, it matters. The tenure matters. Does it make a difference? Oftentimes, unfortunately, I've seen it where it doesn't. And it's painful to see that, but I have seen it happen in, in organizations. That's why to me, when somebody leaves, you know, I want people to treat them as well as when they got hired. Because I've, we have had so many boomerangers come back to organizations that, that treated people really well, and they were able to continue to contribute to the success. Even after they left, they did their own thing. They came back and contributed with even more skill set. So it's not just a selfish approach. I just think it's like, you know, you know that quote where people say, um, people remember how you treated them. I think that it's profound when you're thinking about people ops and when you're thinking about leadership. 
because people do remember how you treat them. Do you think there should be more emphasis on exiting of an employee as they put emphasis on bringing in an employee? Because, you know, everyone says, oh, we want to hire the best. We have to do all these things, employer branding, uh, events, all these things just to attract and bring someone in. Yeah. Bring someone in, excuse me. Have you seen companies give much thought towards the exit? Of course, no one wants someone to leave. But ultimately, like you said earlier, sometimes as a startup evolves, it turns into maybe a product or a culture that may not be suitable for the people that are already there. What does that process look like? Do you see companies even consider that? I haven't seen a lot of companies over-indexing on that. And and I think sometimes it's an afterthought. And, you know, when you're building employee experiences as a people operations expert, to me, that's just as important as building the onboarding, for example, because branding doesn't just sort of end when somebody leaves. Like if you want them to be a part of your community, they become ambassadors to your brand when they leave. So they're always going to be a part of that community. It's not like they're just getting booted out and you never talk to them again. You know, just like companies or, or universities have have their, um, um, their what are they called? <laughs> why, why is my mind slipping right now? But all of us, when we graduate, we're alumni, right? We don't just yeah. go away. Our experience, we give back over 10, 20, 30 years to that university. But it's because of our experience. It's the same thing with companies. And I think to look at it as just sort of it's a transaction and it's a transient thing. That's where I find companies really messing up. You know, when 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 an employee says, you know, this isn't the right company for me anymore and I'm moving on instead of people taking it personally. And I've seen managers sometimes take it very personally. To be able to distance away yourself away from that decision and not take it personally and just say, hey, I respect that. What are you up to next? What are you doing next? And look, there's always going to be challenging situations that are very complicated in nature on people's departures. I get that. Most of the time, though, they can be powerful, powerful um, shifts where people leave, but they leave in a beautiful, empowered way where they're feeling good about their entire experience with the company. And yeah, I don't think a lot of emphasis is put on that. And I don't think it has to be very complicated in nature. I mean, you can design a really great exit program. You can make sure that managers and leaders are trained up on that. You can help managers and leaders have genuine conversations with those individuals. And you can set that that person up for success for their next career move. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I, I really... I really do think there's not a lot of emphasis put on that. And your sort of brand ambassadors, your company alumni could be so important and could give you your next great batch of contributors to your company, right? And to your organization. So I couldn't agree more with you. So taking a major left turn right now. Yes. One of the hottest topics that there is right now, Claudia, is artificial intelligence, AI. Something that we're really curious about, and we've talked uh, a lot about on the pod, is just AI specifically in HR, in the people space, in your opinion, how will AI impact this whole space that we're all in right now? In your opinion, we're very interested to know. I am so excited about it. I mean, I I think it's scary in its own right as, as you know, 
cautiously scary as everybody's discovering all of the different things that AI can do. I do think that this industry needs yet another round of automation. Um, and we've made amazing strides in people ops in the past five years. Amazing. I mean, to see so much awesome technology out there that's helping uh, all of these different professionals do their jobs better and actually focus on the forward-facing employee experience. I love that for our industry. Um, you know, there are obviously a lot of stipulations around regulations and, and everything else that comes with AI. I'm really excited about it because it's technology that can help us in so many amazing ways to support that employee experience. And it can give people that truly believe in what we've been talking about, it can give us that time to actually make these things happen and build these really cool programs for people. So I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see what cool products are gonna be coming out here in the next couple of years. Yeah, no, we we could not agree more. We're uh, technical optimists and we know artificial intelligence, even though it might be a little scary, we're, yeah. we're very uh, excited to see what happens in the future. But Claudia, this has been absolutely amazing. We absolutely love this conversation. I know you mentioned your website before, but please say it again and anywhere else you'd like people to find you, they want to connect with you, learn more about what you're doing. Yeah, it's just claudiafolga.com. Lots of good information on there and uh, always happy to chat with people and obviously contribute and help people out as much as possible. So reach out there. Claudia, again, you're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really Thanks for the time. It. I appreciate it. Yes, of course. And to everyone listening to New C Podcast, thank you very much. And until next time.